Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Is there some light at the end of the tunnel for the pig sector or is it just a train coming the other way? The majority of retailers bar Tesco have done varying different things, but at least they are trying to help. We'll talk to outgoing National Pig Association Chief Exec Zoe Davis and Leaf Open Farm Sunday is just four weeks away. If you're still not sure about taking part, all you need to know coming up with Ambassador Andy Guy and we're getting to know the new NFU Vice President David Exwood. Yeah, look, I still farm it, still still keep oversight. Man. I'm very fortunate to have a great son to work with. Uh, it's, it's a joy seeing the next generation get on with it. I started when I was at the age of 20 uh, at Westlands and uh, he's really taking it on. Plus market reports and the weather for the week to come, but unfortunately no Sean Sparling this week. Very sadly, his mum passed away a few days ago and I'm sure you'll join me in sending sincere condolences to Sean and his family. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme. With Steve Orchard. Good morning. I am Steve Orchard. Hope you've had a good week. Following last week's discussions about problems in the egg sector, disappointing to hear that retailers failed to attend the sector's crisis summit at the Pig and Poultry Fair last week. Lots of empty chairs and promises. Well done to everybody involved in two recent tractor runs. Humberside saw more than 80 tractors and drivers taking part for a local hospice. And Louth Lions last Sunday had 43 tractors winding their way through Lincolnshire villages, raising over £1,000 to support hard-pressed families locally. Congratulations to category winners Brian Holmes, Mark Auckland and Alex Codeman for Best Presented Tractor. A reminder that it's Lincolnshire Young Farmers Rally next weekend. The public can turn up and enjoy the fun on Saturday at Manor Farm at Tealby. For details, search YFC Links Rally on Facebook. Help for the pig sector has been announced by several supermarkets this week. Is it all good news and is it enough? Good morning to National Pig Association Chief Exec Zoe Davis. Good morning. We seem to be having supermarkets almost queuing up to announce investments and support packages. What are they actually offering to help the sector and is it going to be enough? So, yes, you're right. The majority of retailers, bar Tesco, have done varying different things, but at least they are trying to help. A lot of it depends on if they have direct supply chains with producers. Some have uh, producer groups uh, and so they have good relationships with individuals. They have specialised contracts. Those uh, that do have that, like Sainsbury's, for example, uh, have been able to have a direct input by specifically increasing the amount that those producers are getting through those specialised contracts. Um, Not all retailers have that luxury. Others have tried to help largely by supporting the processors by fueling cash into the processing sector with the express intention that that money is channeled back to the producers themselves. And we've seen some healthy increases in the pig price. It's just gone up to uh, just over 171. But again, uh, when we asked our members what their current cost of production was, the average was £2.20 per kilo. There's still a gap there, isn't there? And last time we spoke a month or two ago, problems still with abattoirs and processors. Has that eased in any way? Yes, it has. There's been good numbers going through the abattoirs, but uh, we still have a sizable backlog, 70,000 in in just that small sample. So we expect it will probably be bigger than that. And of course, that uh, impacts on our bargaining power with the retail supply chain because we we are still in an oversupply situation of pigs. 
And is anything happening to improve the situation within processes or are we still struggling to get staff? I think they're trying to get pigs through as much as they can. What we're starting to see now, though, particularly with some of them, there hasn't been such strong retail demand. So although some are doing the right thing and and getting through the backlog of pigs that they had contracted, others are still not doing that. And we would like to see all of them uh, behaving fairly. Uh, We have one uh, notable uh, processor linked directly to a retailer who uh, is still not taking um, their allocated number of pigs on a weekly basis. And that really needs to change. So an improvement in price, but still a gap between what you're getting and what the costs are and still a gap in terms of processing. So things a little bit better, but still a long way to go. Yeah, and I think the problem is that now, regardless of whether you've got a backlog, the input prices are are feed particularly. I mean, feed now 71% of the cost of producing a pig um, are ridiculously high and showing absolutely no signs of dropping off anytime soon. And I think that's the thing that is really worrying producers when they start looking forward in terms of profitability of the business. I've just spent two days at the Pig and Poultry Fair, a lot of farmers really seriously considering the future in the industry. And that's the bit we're trying to get across to the retailers. If you don't pay now, you simply won't have supply of British pork in the future because once they've gone, they won't come back. All right, Zoe, many thanks for that. And this is going to be pretty much your swan song on the farming programme, isn't it? You're stepping down from your role at the NPA. Uh, Yes, I am. Uh, I'll be leaving at the end of July um, to start with a a new, very exciting position with the National Farmers Union on my start on the 8th of August. Well, thank you enormously for all your contributions to the farming programme over the years, Zoe. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and I wish you huge success with your new role. You're very, very welcome. And uh, yeah, I'm sure that we will meet up or bump into each other in the future. I hope so. Thanks again, Zoe. All right. Take care, Steve. Cheers. One of the great opportunities for farmers to meet, inform and perhaps educate the public, Leaf Open Farm Sunday is just four weeks away. Thinking of taking part? Maybe still not sure? Let's get all you need to know from Andy Guy, one of the Open Farm Sunday ambassadors. Andy, morning. Welcome to the farming programme again. Good morning, Steve. Have we got many farms signed up yet? We've got some farms. We've got some some of the great regulars have signed up and we've got one or two new ones signed up as well. But it's not too late. It's time to organise something if anybody wants to join in. For those who are maybe pondering, let's chuck one or two questions your way that farmers might be thinking to themselves. Should I take part? Should I not take part? Does it have to be a big formal event? No, that's a really important question, Steve. Big events are are fantastic, but they're a huge operation. We categorise the large events as those with more than 250 people, but anything under 50 is perfectly legitimate as well. And we've got lots of farms trying it for the first time this year, aiming to just get 25 or 50 people. So no, it absolutely doesn't have to be huge. And the nice thing about this, of course, is sharing what you do with public who perhaps don't understand what goes on uh, the other side of the farm gate. No, that's right. The statistics from last year told us, no, not last year, the last time we opened before COVID, 20% of the people that visited farms had never, ever been on a farm in their life. So, you know, if, if we can get to those 20%, that's more and more people who understand what farmers do in the countryside and the, the responsibility that they have to produce safe food and look after the environment at the same time. Does a farmer need to be any particular type of farm to take part in Open Farm Sunday? No, Steve, I think it's really important that every kind of farm opens up. We need to show the consumers and the public 
absolutely every side of agriculture. Uh, so it doesn't matter whether you've got livestock or whether you're arable. If you think you can open, then you probably can. You know, it would be great to welcome you into the, the fold of farmers that are joining in. I think that question of talking about things on the farm is a concern for some, saying, what should I talk about when people come on farm? The thing about people visiting farms is that they're just interested in what you do. So you just talk about your daily routine, the way you plan your crops and the way you look after your livestock. Um, You talk about the wildlife that's living alongside it. You know, every farm, even the, the biggest, most intensely farmed arable businesses have got amazing margins they're looking after pollinators. They've got hedgerows and trees. You know, there's fantastic things to tell about every single business. And what may be routine and, and dull for you might be just the thing that inspires somebody else. So uh, you can talk about anything you like uh, and just be open and answer questions when they come. And it doesn't need to be a big formal presentation or anything like that, does it? No, I mean, some people prefer that because they can sort of script it and plan it. But lots of farmers just go for a walk in the countryside with a crowd of people following along and they stop when they see something interesting and talk about it. It doesn't have to be planned in great detail. People are just grateful for the opportunity to talk to a farmer and find out some of the stuff that they know. Now, thankfully, COVID, as far as this event is concerned, is pretty much behind us. Do we still need to put in place any uh, special facilities? I'm thinking hand washing and this kind of thing. Well, hand washing is important anyway, Steve. And that's, that's a really critical thing. All farms that open should have hand-washing facilities. Um, they don't have to be ever so sophisticated. Running water, paper towels and liquid soap is all that's required. But that's nothing to do with COVID. That's just you know, normal health and safety for, a, for an event like this. There's lots of, of, of support and help. And actually, if, if farmers are wondering about it and they want a bit more of a conversation, I'm very happy to talk to them. I'm the, the regional ambassador for the East Midlands for Open Farm Sunday. And my information's on the website at um, farmsunday.org. So I'm very happy to take a phone call or an email from somebody if they want to chat about exactly what they need to put in place. That's good to hear. That's very reassuring as well. One thing that was in place last time because of COVID was a booking system. Is that the case this time or are we just saying open house? No, you, you can say open house, but there is a booking system. It's free ticketing service that you can use through the LEAF website on farmsunday.org. Um, and that's a great way, especially if you're a little bit nervous, you're perhaps a first time um, host and you don't want to have hundreds or thousands of people. You just want to control it. Um, and it's a great system. It's completely free and you can issue the number of tickets that you want. So, in fact, you can you could issue them um, sequentially through the day. I, I know one farmer who issues 25 tickets on the hour, every hour during the day um, so that they know exactly how many people they've got to deal with at any one moment. And it all takes place Sunday, 12th of June. But if somebody can't do it on that day, could they do it a different day? Yeah, there's a little bit of flexibility. We encourage them to do it that day. And that's all the, the national publicity goes towards that. But we've got lots of people who, who say, oh, well, you know, maybe that clashes with a village event or a local show or something like that. And they'd like to do it the weekend before or the weekend after. And that's fine, too. Let's look forward to a really, really successful Open Farm Sunday on the 12th of June or thereabouts. Andy Guy, Open Farm Sunday Ambassador, thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Steve. The Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts.
David Exwood was elected the new NFU vice president recently, so I thought it'd be good to hear his thoughts on some of the topics vexing the farming world at the moment, including BPS payments, new powers for the police on hair coursing and illegal encampment, and red meat exports. Morning, David, and welcome. And since you became vice president, have you actually managed to do any farming at all? <laughs> I have a uh, 26-year-old son who is uh, very able and has uh, definitely uh, stepped into uh, more of my role. And so, yeah, look, I still farm it, still keep oversight. But I'm very fortunate to have a great son to work with. Uh, it's, it's a joy seeing the next generation get on with it. I started when I was at the age of 20 uh, at Westlands and uh, he's really taken it on. And, and it's a real example of how you're trusting the next generation later and, and letting them get on with it because they do things differently, but they have lots of new ideas, and new ways of working, new technology. And it's a, it's a joy, to be honest, to be able to commit myself to the NFU and, and all the work that needs, but still see the farm thriving. OK, well, with your NFU hat on, let's talk about advanced BPS payments. You commented that this is a good solution now this is an advance payment it's not extra payment is it actually a solution look this is a positive move by defra and the rpa they're showing flexibility in difficult times and it will help with cash flow you know we're seeing unprecedented cost inflation in farming businesses everybody's familiar with the cost of fertilizer and fuel and inputs and this has created a large amount of concern in farming how they're going to afford to farm next year what do i do so this clearly helps, but absolutely, it's really important to remember that this is half of a smaller amount. So we're still getting the reductions, and yes, you're getting it early, but overall, you'll get exactly the same amount. This phase-out of BPS still applies, so overall, people still get significantly less money than they did last year, and it will be slightly masked by this. So it's important people recognise what actually they're going to get in total. So it's going to help cash flow, but not profitability. I think we do need to recognise that it is still a positive thing to do. It will help. It will make a difference to many farming businesses. They look, take decisions in the next few weeks about what they plant next year, what they farm, how they might do it. It, it, it is useful, but the fundamentals of farming next year are still the same. That is absolutely right. Will I have a margin left by the time I've paid for the cost of fuel? and the machines and fertiliser, will I still be in profit? Moving on a little bit from that, but another positive step are these new powers to crack down on illegal encampments and hair coursing on private land. This is something the NFU's been calling for for a long time, haven't you? Yes, we really have. Everybody knows the effect of hair coursing in the countryside. There was a survey recently that 67% of East Anglian farmers, you know, had suffered from hair coursing. So, as we all know, this is a widespread common crime that affects people and they feel really threatened and intimidated by it. What exactly are the new powers, David? So the, the increased powers that the police now have as part of the Crime Sentencing and Courts Act now, this is uh, on, the, on the books, is they now have unlimited fines they can put on people who are caught hair coursing. So that's a, a significant increase, you know, so that, that puts the risk of hair coursing up significantly. They can seize more dogs, uh, so they can, they can take more people's property, and they can charge them for the costs associated with seizing them and handling them. In some circumstances, there is a possibility of a jail sentence. That's a big increase in the powers that the police have that hopefully will, will have an impact on, on what people see going on. Excellent. And illegal encampments, they become a criminal offence, yeah? In the, just in the same way. You know, the illegal encampments are something that so many people suffer and the, and, and the increased powers on that will hopefully make a big difference to that. I, I've experienced it, so many of you have experienced it. 
And we, hopefully these are the sort of things that we can really, really make a difference and really cut back on the, the experience of it. One other thing I just wanted to talk to you about, David, is the, the launch of the new red meat export strategy. There's been lots of talks about free trade deals, countries like Australia and New Zealand and unfair competition and so on. What's happening with this red meat strategy then? Tell us a bit about that. So we see real opportunity. We've got a great story of sustainable uh, red meat production in this country. And we see lots of opportunity to open up new markets and, and get our product around the world. Lamb to the Middle East and be, you know, high quality beef to, to many parts of the world. So we see real opportunities there for uh, selling red meat from the UK around the world. So it's asking for agricultural attaches across the world to help promote the red meat. So we see strength there, we see opportunity in there, but also we see opportunity for carcass balance as well. I think it's increasingly important that we achieve carcass balance in red meat production in the UK. And this is looking sort of at some of the wider opportunities for that as well. Good, good. And has DEFRA said that they're going to help out with this? So look, this is our, we set out our position We've made some very clear asks for uh, what we want to see that will help UK food exports. We're lobbying really hard to get the government to to back us and to back British farming on this. You know, they want to see global trade, free trade and exports. Well, we're saying, please, yeah, support us, put your money where your mouth is uh, and help promote great British food. And good to see that the US market is going to be open to lamb soon and beef exports are, are back. I think we're the third largest exporter of lamb in the world. We have a great tradition of producing uh, sheep meat in this country. You know, let's sell it where we can. You know, let's not be shy about what we do and what we can do well. And we are, you know, because of the climate and our soils and our landscape, we are actually probably some of the most sustainable producers of red meat in the world. And that is a great story that we can sell and probably puts us ahead of many other countries. So, you know, let's be proud of that. Let's see what what we can do with it. Absolutely. Tough times in farming, but um, positive steps, shall we say. David Exford, NFU Vice President, thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thank you. Let's get the market updates now, starting with livestock from Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth for Monday the 9th of May. Starting with the prime cattle, which the steers top at 241 pence per kilo, gross £1,491 for JNS Brooks of Strubby. While the heifers top at 248 pence per kilo, gross £1,274 for John Scully of Bournemouth. Onto the cool cows and just a handful of cool cows on offer from IAG Tolson and Partners, topped at 196 pence per kilo and grossed 1,466 pounds. Moving on to the sheep, starting with the prime lambs, more than expected and a better trade across the board. Season SQQ of 331.99 pence per kilo. A top came for CE Badley at 351 pence per kilo, while pounds per head was topped by Scribblesby Farms Limited at 160 pounds. Onto the prime hogs, and this week just saw a slight drop off as many outlets have now changed over to spring lambs. A prime hog SQQ of 249.89 pence per kilo, with a top for RW Barker and Sons, a great ponton at 300 pence per kilo, and also hogs from the same good home grossing 150 pounds. Onto the cool ewes, and a strong, strong trade from start to finish for an all-in average of 144 pounds and 15 pence, with a top for H Smith and Sons of Theddlethorpe. £224 per head. This week saw our inaugural show and sale of ewes and lambs, which saw the single ewe suckling lambs first price pen go to GW Allison and the day's leading price of £150 per head, while the pen of three or more outfits first place was T-Og of Winteringham 
which topped for full mouth Texel Cross Clean Use with Beltex lambs at foot at £108. An all in average for the ewes and lambs per head of £81.24. Huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week, and we look forward to seeing you all tomorrow. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. And with the Grey Market Review, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. Slight change this week. Alice Killam will be presenting from our Honeypot Lane office. Thanks for that, Kit, and good morning, Steve. So it's been a very eventful week again with an undertone of continued higher values, but concerns also about whether long-term these high prices are sustainable. Notably, from the USDA report produced last night, Ukraine wheat production for marketing year 22-23 is forecast at 21.5 million metric tonnes, which is down 35% from last year and down 23% from the five-year average. The decrease in production year to year is due to the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yield is forecast at 3.68 tonnes per hectare, down 18% from last year. It is still worryingly dry in the key producing countries of Europe. However, if you look at the seven-day forecast, it does marginally improve, so let's hope they're correct. News this week that Odessa has been attacked is not good, as this is the largest of Ukraine's grain ports and would hinder hopes of a swift return to exports if the war ended. This has also led the USDA report to drastically reduce Ukraine's export estimates for new crop. It is simply a best guess at this stage. Elsewhere in the world, India may have overpromised but will almost certainly underdeliver on their export potential as their crop size erodes. And there is talk of lower Chinese demand due to COVID and the tenuous global economic situation. Milling and malting premiums do remain strong in terms of new crop. With old crop malting barley trade completed, attention has switched to new crop. Much needed rain has encouraged some farmers to make further sales into the historically high forward market. Apart from China, where the recent COVID lockdown has caused a recession in beer and other food sales, the rest of the world has rebounded well. It could be said that as the spring barley crop develops, it may be beneficial to make further small sales forward, as at some stage this war premium included in the high prices for all cereals could disappear. With regards to oilseed rape, there was a slow start to the week with the market awaiting the USDA update. The rapeseed market has seen less of a price swing this week. It is supported by the slow pace of soya bean plantings in the US, dry weather in the EU for rapeseed and major reduction in sunflower plantings in Ukraine. Trading continues to be thin with a lack of sellers making it difficult to quantify actual prices. There's very little old crop and rumours of some consumers taking the opportunity to close early for annual maintenance due to the tight supply. The week started with overnight Chicago trading lower, but domestic strength supported by rising Matif rapeseed. Tuesday saw Matif extend Monday's gains as the building drought across Europe brought concerns for the rapeseed crop. On Wednesday, new crop rapeseed was supported by firm soy oil and crude oil, but trade was generally mute, waiting for USDA crop figures. From here, we have seen pressure from lower overnight Chicago and crude oil, but any fall is capped by the week sterling. On to prices for this week, we'll start with feed wheat. At June, we have £315 to £325. August, September as available, 315 to 326. November, 320 to 330. And May 23, 328 to 336, with a milling premium of around 24 to 28 pounds. Feed barley, June, 300 to 310. August, September as available, 290 to 300. November, 295 to 303. 
with limited carry to May 23 at 300 to 306. For malting barley premiums, please speak to your open field farm business manager. All seed rate prices, May 815 to 825, June 820 to 830, July 692 to 703, August, September at 692 to 706, and November 698 to 708. Many thanks to Kit, Alice and Oliver. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. More rain is expected this week starting tonight. A light easterly today, cloudy but mostly dry until later. Highs in the mid-teens Celsius. Monday and Tuesday see light winds veering round to the southwest, where they stay for the rest of the week. Cloudy with rain every day, some of it heavy, especially on Tuesday, but warm for most of the week with daytime highs in the upper teens. Well, that's it for this week. I'm off to do my Mad May Marathon Miles for LRSN but 4,000 miles away. Yes, it's holiday time. Andy Marsh looks after the farming programme for the next two Sundays. So until next week then with Andy, reporting from the Nottinghamshire County Show, have a good one. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.